the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Can you really know that you're on your way to heaven after you die? Yes, you can. Welcome to Canyon Ridge Radio, a ministry of Canyon Ridge Baptist Church in San Diego, California. This morning, Pastor Chris Chadwick preaches Assurance, a new series of messages on knowing you can be with Jesus when you die. See, here's what some people say. Well, I just won't believe in Jesus and it's good. No, no. If you don't believe in Jesus, you still have to pay the price for your sin. There's still a consequence for your sin. Ignoring Jesus doesn't divorce you from the consequences of sin. You, you don't get out, a, you don't get a, a get out of jail free card because you denied Christ. You still face the consequences of sin and the eternal punishment of sin. Ignoring Jesus doesn't change any of that. None of it. And that's why Paul says your faith is vain or empty. There's nothing to back your faith up and you're still in your sin. If you deny the resurrection, if you deny Jesus Christ, it won't change the, the, the eternality of hell at all. You'll still die and spend eternity in hell. Verse number 18, another consequence. Believers are perished and they too are in hell. Verse number 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all men most miserable. Most miserable means we're worthy of pity. We're full of misery. We endure great suffering. If as a believer, I put my faith and trust in Christ and Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then I'm to be pitied above anybody else on the planet. Why? Because I believe in the faith, I believe in the resurrection. I put my faith in the resurrection. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. We sang about it, glorious day when we see the Lord. If there is none of this, then then it's not like Jesus just made my life better. Absolutely not. I'm to be pitied above everybody else. Well, why? Well, there's five thoughts. Because the believers are to be pitied because they would be hoping in a false belief and philosophy. They're believing a lie because believers secondly are expecting in the supernatural power of God to help them through the trials of life. And he's not there to help them. No resurrection, no power, no Jesus, no resurrection, no help because the righteousness number three and strength of a godly lifestyle of believers is misunderstood and often opposed and we're often ridiculed for our life and our lifestyle, then we suffer for a Christ that is not the Messiah. If there's no resurrection, there's no hope for salvation and eternal life. The believer is literally suffering for nothing. And we're to be 
pitied most because true believers deny themselves giving up and sacrificing all that we have in order to reach and minister to a world in desperate need of the gospel. And there is no gospel. There is no resurrection. And the author, the apostle Paul, why would he endure all of this? Before Paul became a Christian, he was a very wealthy, very prominent attorney in Israel, considered to be the future head of the Sanhedrin. Some Bible historians say that Paul would probably have been worth, by the time he was about 45 years old, worth about 10 to $20 million in modern day funds. And and the apostle Paul gave all of that up when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, not only did he give it up, but he had been married. And it seems as though we don't have a hundred percent assurance of this, but it seems as though that his wife had a funeral for him and considered him dead. His parents had a funeral for him and considered him dead. His friends rejected him. His, his His coworkers absolutely shunned him. He lost everything, but he gained Jesus. Christ. And he not only gained Christ, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, he says this, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in death often, of the Jews five times received I forty stripes save one, thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a day and a night have I been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of water, that just means near death experiences in water, in perils perils of robbers, uh, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watching often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness. Why would he endure all that if the resurrection wasn't real? Why would he give up everything for this? People say, well, because he wanted power. What kind of power did the dude have? Seriously. He gave up everything to follow Christ. Why did he do all that? Look at verse number 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that sleep. He helps us to understand the message of the resurrection is the assurance of the resurrection. There's no doubt of the resurrection. Jesus is risen from the dead. That's why you're here. I'm here because a family member drugged me here. I'm here because my friend promised me good burritos after church. I'm here because they said you tell good jokes. We'll come back next week. I'm here and you could fill in the blank. No, you're here because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Notice verse 22. Uh, Verse 21. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die. Adam is our, if you will, in the Bible, he's considered to be our earthly father. The father of all mankind. 
And because of Adam's sin, and most of you know the story where, or you've heard of it at least, where God created Adam and Eve, and they're in the garden, a garden called Eden. And in the garden, there was this tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, you can have all the fruit of every tree in this entire garden, but the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, this, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you can't eat that fruit. Some people call it an apple. It wasn't. Some people say it's grapes. It wasn't. It was the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was durian. you'd have to be talked into eating that stuff. Uh, I'm kidding. It wasn't that either. It was the fruit of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And you know how Adam disobeyed God and he ate that. When Adam did that, we died spiritually. We meaning all mankind everywhere for all time. That's why the Bible says in Romans chapter five, verse number 12, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, Adam and death by sin. So death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Every man on the face of the earth, every woman on the face of the earth who has ever lived is a sinner. And because of your sin, you are separated from God eternally. And so am I. That's why the Bible says in verse 21 and verse number 22, in Adam all die. By man came death. But notice the contrast. Now, making contrast in the Bible is kind of like a repetition of words. It's intended to draw emphasis and exclamation to the point. So in Adam all die. Now here's the contrast. Pay special attention to what he's saying. In Christ shall all be made alive. You're a, you're born a sinner. You can't escape that. You didn't have a choice for it or against it. You're a sinner because your parents are sinners. It's just what happened to all of us. It's all equal for everyone. You're born in sin, but in Christ shall all be made alive. Alive. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 3, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is a really important phrase. The word hope here means expectation. The word expect, let me rephrase it. Let me give you the accurate definition. The looking forward to of an expected end. It'd be like this. I hope to eat lunch today. Unless Jesus returns, it won't be long before there's food in this mouth. And if Jesus returns, I'll be eating food in heaven. So I have hope. It's expected. Most of us in here have a food plan for the day. Some of you have too much of a food plan for the day, like me. But we have hope. We have expected. A lively hope means that it's not a hope that's just based on circumstance. It's not a hope that's just based on tradition. It's not a hope that's just based on something that my parents taught me or told me. It's a hope that is, here's what it means, that is eternally alive just as Jesus Christ is alive. You say, how do you know that? Well, you notice the prepositional phrase that's following by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the 
hope is, is being held up by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That just as Jesus was raised from the dead, make no mistake, believer, that we are saved according to the abundant mercy of God that has put inside of us a lively hope and we look forward to our resurrection just as Christ was resurrected from the dead. One of the worst places in all the world to be is without hope. You can do almost anything if you have hope. But without hope, man, you're in a terrible condition, aren't you? Hopelessness is one of the most difficult places to be. I've had people sit across from me in my office and say, it's hopeless, Pastor. The marriage is done. That's tough. It's hopeless, Pastor. His addiction is controlling him. It's hopeless, Pastor. They're never coming back home. Last year, I want you to see a picture of my mother-in-law. This is my mother-in-law. Her name is Judy. She's on the left. The beautiful woman in the middle is my wife. The hideously ugly man is my father-in-law. His name's Scary Jerry. No, his name's Jerry. He's a wonderful Christian brother. I love him to death. My mother-in-law is a very godly lady. I wish you could have seen her in her prime. I first met my mother-in-law 30-ish years ago, 30 years ago. Uh, she was 44 years old. She's one of the best Bible teachers I've ever seen in my life. She's amazing with children. I, I don't know how many people we have in here, about 300 people in here right now. And, and my mother-in-law could take a crowd of this many kids I see a crowd of this many kids and I want to run and hide. But my mother-in-law could take a crowd of this many kids and just hold them spellbound in her hand. She was an amazing Bible teacher. She was great with ladies, but, but she was one of a kind when it came to working with kids. Loved children. She'd write songs and write stories and brought so many kids to Jesus and encouraged the faith of so many kids who today are serving Jesus in vocational ministry. I mean, she's, oh man, godly lady, godly lady. Last year, we got the call that nobody ever wants to get. Well, she called Debbie and she's kind of an eternal optimist. And, and she said, hey, um, she said these words, uh, the cancer's back, but I think I'm gonna be okay. But truth be told, she's not okay. Matter of fact, she has stage four breast cancer. It's metastatic. It's from the top of her brain to the bottom of her feet. It's in every major joint of her body. And she's on hospice and palliative care. That's all that we're doing for her now. 
Matter of fact, this is what my mother-in-law kind of looks like today. Well, today, the other day, she was at Hobby Lobby and she was walking in and her legs just gave out and she doesn't have the um, kinesthetic awareness anymore to put her hands in front of her and she fell down flat on her face. Her face is just all purple. And uh, it's just, I was gonna show you that picture, but Debbie wouldn't let me because it really looks painful. It's hopeless. There's, there's, there's no means of healing. You say, well, God can do anything. He can, but we all have comfort and confidence that he's not gonna. So you've given up hope. No, we're just without it. Judy, she's a, <laughs> I wish I had time to tell you her story, but she grew up in the six. Well, I wish I had time. I have time. Um, she grew up in the sixties in Northern California. So she was like a hippie love child. Like she invented marijuana. She was, she grew up in an at best agnostic home. My wife's grandfather was agnostic. He died an agnostic. We know that he is in hell today because he rejected Jesus Christ. She grew up in that kind of a home, very stoic. Don't show emotion, just live your life. And that's what she did. Just live your life. Try to find happiness in your life if you can. But if you can't find happiness, that's no big deal. Just don't say anything, just endure. And then one day you'll die. It was her life. It was Judy. She moved from Northern California where she lived. And then she worked kind of at the capital of California in some congressman's office as a typist and stuff like that and, and, and administrative type stuff. And then she moved to Bakersfield, got a job there, met my father-in-law. They got married. They had a beautiful daughter that I, 20 years later, married. But when Debbie was about a year old, a friend of Judy's invited her to a Bible study. Said, hey, why don't you come to a Bible study? And Judy said, no, no, I don't believe in that stuff. And her friend said, come on, it'll be great. You can ask questions. And Judy goes, I can ask questions. And she goes, the friend goes, yeah, you can ask questions. And she goes, I've got questions. And Judy is like, okay. And, and Judy went into the Bible study with an attempt to dissuade her friend from ever going back and following this false religion. I'm going to rescue my friend from this cult called Jesus so she could live her life. And Judy goes and she asks her questions and they answer questions and she asks her questions and they answer questions and she asks her questions and they answer her questions. And that goes on for several, several months. And she keeps asking and they keep answering and she keeps asking and they keep answering. And finally, one day said to, one day somebody said to her, Judy, why don't you just accept Christ? He keeps asking all your questions or answering all your questions. Judy told me one time, I went home and I really began to think about it, that I haven't had a question Jesus can't answer. See, some of you think you're, you're able to resist God because you've got questions, but you've never asked anybody that can answer them. Because if you've got genuine questions about Jesus, there's genuine answers from Jesus. 
Now, if you're going to ask questions like, God, if you'll tell me why the sky is blue, I will trust you. Number one, if he told you, there's already answers to that. But if he told you, you wouldn't, because that's not a sincere question. That's a sarcastic question. But if you have a sincere question, Jesus wants to answer your questions. And so Judy began to think about that. And then finally, one day, Judy said this, I just realized this. Jesus is the God he claimed to be. And she told me this, if he rose from the grave, it changes Friend, if he rose from the grave, it changes everything. Some of you are here today and you're like, I know I should become a Christian. I know I should become a Christian. I know I should become a Christian, but I just don't know. No, you should. Because he rose from the grave and the resurrection changes everything. And salvation is truly not having every single question that you have answered. Salvation is putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And we don't believe Jesus simply because we can prove it scientifically because the Bible's not a science book. The Bible is a history book and we believe history based on the preponderance of the evidence and the preponderance of the evidence overwhelmingly proves that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the son of God, that Jesus died for your sins on a cross called Calvary. And that three days later, he rose from the grave. And if you will put your faith and trust in Christ, he promises to give you eternal life. But Chris, you don't know my sin. I don't know your sin and I don't need to know your sin because Jesus knows it. But let me tell you, I don't come from a pristine family. Well, I heard you say your dad was a pastor. Well, my dad was a pastor. But before that, my dad was an alcoholic by the time he was 17. Got drunk the first time at nine years old. My grandfather was one of the worst abusive men you've ever met in his life. My dad's brothers almost killed my grandfather. No, I'm not exaggerating. And got him out of the house, told him if he ever comes back, they would kill him. And there was no doubt that they would. I come from a long line of bootleggers. My brother was an addict for 20 years. I praise God today. My brother's celebrating the resurrection with about 30 kids in Miami, Florida as a ministry leader at his church in Florida because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. My mother grew up in an abusive home without Christ. Matter of fact, my grandmother was an atheist who turned to Buddhism to try to find hope and was a constant Christ rejecter. But my mother, as a 24-year-old woman, put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and my entire life was transformed. My mom and my mom and dad today have three children who are faithfully serving Jesus with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And let me tell you, that's what Jesus wants to do in your life. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior, trust Jesus today. Understand that you're a sinner. Understand that because of your sin, you are eternally separated from God in a place called hell. It's a literal place of eternal torment and suffering. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, left heaven because God loved you so much, came to this earth and died on a cross. And if you will put your faith and trust in only Jesus, he promises, he guarantees on his name to give you eternal life and to prove that he is who he said he was. He rose from the grave. You can have assurance of salvation if you put your faith and trust in Christ. Why not do that today? 
I came to be encouraged. The greatest encouragement you ever have is putting your faith and trust in Christ. Do that today. Don't delay. Don't wait. Put your faith in Christ today. That gnawing that you have, that drawing that you feel, that tug on your soul today, that's Jesus saying, trust me. That's Jesus saying, come to me. That's Jesus saying, what he's saying is true because what he's saying is from the Bible. Put your faith in Jesus. You've been listening to Canyon Ridge Radio with Pastor Chris Chadwick. Before we go, how do you know you can go to heaven when you die? First, you must understand your need for a Savior. The Bible is clear that we all have a huge problem called sin. Romans 3.23 says it this way, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No matter how big or small it seems to us, our sin has an immense price. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. In other words, the price for sin is eternal death apart from God in a place called hell. And none of us can make it into heaven by merit alone. But here's the good news. God sent help. Romans 6.23 continues, But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5.8 says that God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What's the next step? Believe in Jesus. He came to earth as God in the flesh, lived a perfect life, and then voluntarily died on the cross, paying the price for all of your sins because he loves you. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God, in his awesome love, came to earth to make a way for you to be forgiven of your sins and receive eternal life. Finally, trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Romans 10.13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 10 says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's as simple as believing, asking, and receiving. If you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior, you can pray to God. That means talking to Him, and do that right now. We hope this episode of Canyon Ridge Radio has been an encouragement. Canyon Ridge Baptist Church is a growing church located in beautiful San Diego, California, If you're in the area, make plans to visit us this Sunday at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., or 5 o'clock p.m. at 6866 Linda Vista Road. For more information about our church, pastor, or how to know Jesus as your Savior, visit our website at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.